Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Hi, everyone. We're glad to be here today. My name is Rachel fendel Satinsky. I'm a shareholder in Littler's Philadelphia office. Hi, everyone. My name is Olga Ramchandani Raj. I'm shareholder in our Walnut Creek office and also co-chair of our Occupational Safety and Health Group. As many of you may have heard, OSHA has released its long-awaited ETS relating to the COVID vaccine. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means, and in particular, what that means for hospitality employers. So Alka, do you want to start by giving everyone a high-level overview of what the ETS says? Absolutely. So the ETS is an emergency temporary standard that's been passed by Fed OSHA. And the purpose of the ETS was to put forward a vaccine mandate for all employers that have over 100 employees in the United States, and to also obligate employers to follow some other general health and safety matters to ensure that they minimize COVID-related hazards in the workplace. So now that the ETS is out there and we finally know what it says, let's talk a little bit about what employers have to do to comply with the ETS. That's a great question, Rachel. There's a lot of different components that are really critical. The first and foremost being that the employer has to develop a vaccination policy. And that vaccination policy has to put forward a testing protocol, a process for accommodations, a testing roster, a process to make sure that they're obligating face coverings to employees where necessary and making sure that they're limiting COVID-related hazards in the workplace. Starting off with a vaccination policy, an employer should probably focus on who's gonna be responsible for what in regards to that vaccination policy, how they are going to develop and ensure that all employees are getting vaccinated on a timely basis, They need to ensure that new employees that are coming in and applicants that are applying have a process of making a determination that vaccines are mandated. So they may need to reevaluate their job descriptions in addition to everything else to ensure that it says vaccines are part of an essential function of the job. They also need to make sure that they have a testing protocol in their vaccine mandate policy. And that testing protocol probably needs to address what their expectations are. Some of this may be dependent on what state the employee is located in. For instance, in California, there is the California Labor Code section 222.5, which requires that employers pay for any pre-employment medical or physical examination taken as part of a condition of employment. So there are definitely subsections in different state laws that need to be evaluated about whether testing needs to be paid for. Generally, the ETS says that testing does not need to be paid for. However, there's all these nuances that need to be taken into consideration when developing that policy. In addition to that, an employer needs to make a determination of if they have employees that meet one of the exemptions, whether that be the medical exemption or the religious exemption, that they have a process and procedure to do a case-by-case analysis 
to ensure that employees are able to get a reasonable accommodation where required. Now, I think a next big question to consider is, how do you know if you're covered by this? Does this even apply to you? And, and as you said, it does apply to private employers that have 100 or more employees. And how do we calculate what that threshold is? That's a really good question. And I think a critical question that many employers have been struggling with since news of the ETS was released. So essentially, the ETS states that it covers employers with 100 or more employees company-wide. This would include temporary workers, seasonal workers, and even minors. So an employer does not need to calculate the 100 or more employees threshold if they have staffing agencies because there's two employers or if they operate a multi-employer worksite, like a mall, for instance. They wouldn't need to include all employees in that facility to meet their 100 employee threshold. However, if they have any seasonal or temporary employees, that number would be calculated in the 100 employee threshold. And an important point there is that, especially with respect to seasonal workers, while the OSHA ETS is effective as of November 5th, the important thing to note is that the 100 employee threshold hits if you have 100 employees as of November 5th, or if you get to 100 employees at some time while the OSHA ETS is still in effect. So for those of our hospitality clients who might operate ski resorts or uh, winter vacation lodging, at this very present moment, you may not have 100 employees, but if you do hit 100 employees, say December 1st when your season starts, then at that point in time, you would have to be compliant moving forward with the OSHA ETS. And same for our hospitality clients that operate summer seasonal types of activities. Same sort of thing. Until your employee count hits 100, you're not covered by it. But as soon as you have 100 employees, you do become covered by the requirements of the ETS. And that's true even if your number eventually dips down past 100. For example, once your season ends, the OSHA ETS stays in place and still is applicable. Alka, what do employers have to do in order to determine whether their employees are vaccinated or not in terms of documentation and things like that? OSHA's basically come up with a pretty stringent process of what they want employers to gather to be able to show that they have employees that have been vaccinated in accordance with the regulation. So the ETS specifically requires that employers obtain proof of vaccination through a few different possible means. You could obtain a record of immunization from a healthcare provider, a copy of the COVID-19 vaccination record card, a copy of medical records showing that the person has been vaccinated, a copy of immunization records from the public health, state, or local immunization system, or a copy of another official documentation verifying vaccination with information that includes the vaccine name, dates of administration, and where the person got the administration of the vaccine. 
And the attestation is permissible, but only in very limited circumstances. And that is really where we cannot obtain any other acceptable proof of vaccination. In that case, the employee has to sign and date and attest to their vaccination status. Uh, they have to stipulate that they have lost or otherwise are unable to obtain proof of vaccination status. And they have to acknowledge that providing any false information regarding vaccination status may be subject to criminal penalties. And a main reason for this is because OSHA has seen that employers have previously collected documentation where employees have falsely stated that they were vaccinated and they have not been vaccinated. And since then, they have gotten the virus and it has rendered in some negative consequences. So OSHA's looked at this very critically and said, we really want to make sure that attestations are not the only thing that employers are relying on. Now, many employers may have already started their vaccine mandates and may have received attestations. OSHA has said, if your attestation is dated prior to November 5th, you are okay using those attestations as proof of and verification of vaccines. So employers do not have to go back and get new attestations or look at that documentation if they already have valued and verified those attestations as they've received previously. So that's a great thing that we, we saw with OSHA. In addition to that, one of the biggest concerns that employers had was, do I have to obtain this information and retain it for 30 years in accordance with the OSHA's traditional medical examination record-keeping requirements? And OSHA said, no, you just have to maintain those documents as long as this emergency temporary standard is effective or a temporary standard is effective. Once the permanent standard is effective, we will see where OSHA lies on maintaining those documentation. But as of right now, employers do not have to keep those documents for 30 years. Talking about mistrust, I think it's important for employers to recognize that a lot of what's in the ETS, OSHA and the decisions OSHA has made are are based on mistrust and I shouldn't say a lot, maybe that's being a little bit too generous, but some of the determinations OSHA has made certainly are based on reports of falsification of information um, with respect to not just vaccine cards, but also related to test results. And OSHA specifically recognizes in the ETS that the financial benefit of misrepresenting a, uh, a negative test um, for an employee and that because of that, OSHA does allow for rapid tests as part of a vaccine protocol, but the, the tests have to be conducted before a proctor or some kind of third-party health provider, whether virtual or in-person or some other employee of the company. Employees cannot just self-test and self-report on their own. That's a really good point, Rachel. If the employer is deciding to have uh, another employee of the company view the tests, there is this predicament that employers may run into that what if the test comes back positive and you have an employee in a room with somebody else that's positive. So an employer then needs to think about protocols to make sure that that employee has PPE protecting them 
from people that are unvaccinated and thereby spreading the virus. Because all of a sudden you may have to take that other employee out due to contact tracing and eliminating them from the workplace. So a lot of things for employees to think about, about what is the best process for their work site. In closing, what happens if an employer doesn't comply, whether by choice or by accident or, or for some other reason? So OSHA has a lot of different remedies for employers that don't comply. Often we see this with a value of a citation and employers have been getting a lot of citations since COVID hit in 2020. I think there was a point where everybody thought an OSHA attorney just handled cases with construction and manufacturing. And all of a sudden I went from that attorney that only handled manufacturing cases to now be the most popular person at the firm handling these COVID-related citations. Um, True, you are. (laughs) They're very common. So OSHA can issue a a multitude of different types of of violations. Uh, They can issue regulatory violations. They can issue things that are like general violations or violations that they call other than serious. And they also can issue serious violations or even willful or repeat violations. Depending on the type of violation, there's a penalty assessed with it. So an other than serious or serious violation can be anywhere between $13,653 up to $70,000. A willful violation or repeat violation can be anywhere between $136,532 to $700,000. That's per instance, right? That's per instance. And depending on the state, there may even be higher penalties. You can also see things like stop work orders, which is something that we have seen where we've had to go in and do some crisis management to ensure that work sites are not shut down because of violations relating to COVID-19. Another thing to really think about and employers should be aware of is we expect Fed OSHA to raise these penalties. There has been a movement and some legislation recently that is in the process of being passed for a a raise, a significant raise in these type of penalties, possibly 10, 20, 50, to even maybe 100% um, that we will see an increase. There was discussion about, you know, where the maximum right now is 70,000 to having each violation go up to $700,000 for a serious violation. So we could really see significant changes in the next year or so with these penalties. So it's really critical for employers to be aware of that and try to put their policies in order early and effectively. Great. Any thoughts in closing? I think it's critical for employers to get ahead of the game and be preventative when it comes to COVID-19. Littler is here and people from our teams are here and ready and able to be able to help you with that. So please go back and check littler.com for upcoming information and news. And we have an ASAP that was released today, Thursday, November 4th, in relation to what has happened on the Fed ETS. But we will have a lot of new and upcoming information coming up in the near future. 
So please check back with Littler.com and contact your local Littler attorney because we're here and able to help, help you navigate these really difficult waters. Great. Well, thanks for joining me today, Alka. Thank you, Rachel. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.